You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm going to be reading the second half of a story that I read the first half of a year ago here. <laughs> and I felt guilty leaving you all uh, halfway with a halfway completed story. Um, and for those of you who weren't here last year, I'll do a quick synopsis. Um, it's sort of like one of those two-part TV shows last week on CSI. Um, since the story is in the first person, the synopsis will also be in the first person. And I'm going to try to keep the synopsis quite short so that uh, I don't run over time. Um, at the beginning of the story, I find a mirror on the way to the train station, and I take it home. Um, I work at a toy company, and I'm currently working on the Twinkle Fairy Doll project. Uh, the team is building an online fairyland, the sort of place where each little girl who visits the fairyland will have her own fairy home that she can furnish with fairy furniture and uh, a fairy avatar that she can dress with fairy clothes. Uh, the web designer on the project is Rocky, who I rather suspect is not happy to be on the fairy project. Um, the, another team's working on a line of remote control monster trucks, and I think Rocky would rather be building online monster truck land. Um, and uh, in meetings, uh, um, I find out that Rocky knows more about Tinkerbell and Peter Pan than you might expect of a guy who has pierced eyebrows and wears all black. Um, and uh, at home, uh, I've taken the mirror home. My cats, Flash and Godzilla, seem fascinated and kind of spooked by this mirror. And the other, pers the other character I need to introduce is my father, who lives in a board and care home. Uh, my father was once an archaeologist. My father was once a member of Mensa. My father was once a very smart, very sarcastic, somewhat hostile man. Of all those attributes, only the sarcasm and hostility remain. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was visiting my f when I was visiting my father, Johnny, who ran the home, told me that my father had threatened to kick one of the other residents in the balls. <laughs> he gets very angry, Johnny told me. It's the Alzheimer's. It wasn't really the Alzheimer's. Dad had never suffered fools gladly. He considered most people to be fools. And when he met a fool, he was not above saying, I ought to kick him in the balls. And the one other thing that has happened before I will start reading the story, um, I have, uh, on, on another trip to the train station, I found a tiny stone tool, a worked flint that's just a centimeter long. And I should tell you that the train station is the train station at 22nd in Pennsylvania, which is an odd little train station. It's basically a wide spot in the tracks uh, surrounded by embankments covered with wild fennel and brambles. Um, and there's a little gully with a stream running through it. It's a very odd train station. Okay, so now I will start reading the story from the middle. At today's meeting, Tiffany, Tiffany's the project leader, Tiffany wants to establish the specifics of our particular fairies. Tiffany believes in fairies that fly on shimmering wings, made of child-safe mylar, I think. Her fairies are similar to Tinkerbell, but not so similar that they'll trigger a cease and desist order. Jane's fairies, Jane's the graphic designer, Jane's fairies harken back to the classics. Think Midsummer Night's Dream and Yates. 
Her fairies wear elegant green dresses. They have a queen, of course. They have fabulous parties where they dance all night. By the way, Jane lives alone. Rocky's fairies sleep late. They are dark-eyed and sultry, dressing in black and looking for trouble. I think some of them are transgender, which makes sense if you know Peter Pan. When Wendy returns from Neverland, she tells her mother that the new fairies live in nests at the tops of trees. The mauve ones are boys and the white ones are girls, she says, and the blue ones are just little sillies who are not quite sure what they are. That's from the book, not the movie. I don't think Disney believes in transgender fairies. <laughs> the way I figure it, you can choose what kind of fairies you want to believe in. I fingered the stone tool in my pocket. In the foggy chill of San Francisco's summer, my fairies wear clothing made of tanned mouse leather. They are grimy, hard scrabble fairies that chip, stools from, chip tools from stone and drink from the stream. They hunt in the marsh with stone blades and feed on frogs' legs. They'd mug Victorian flower fairies and take their stuff. <laughs> what do you think, forest or village? Tiffany is polling the meeting, getting each member of the team to vote. Rocky says city, Jane says forest. It's my turn. Wild or civilized? Why can't we have it both ways, I ask. Why not? Dirty little fairies crouching in the litter by the stream, chipping stone into knives, strapping blades onto spear handles made of pens and pencils dropped by commuters. My kind of fairy. After work, I go to the board and care home to visit my dad. I stop by the grocery store on my way and buy a basket of fresh raspberries. These days, I always bring something to eat. Finger food is best. We sit in the living room, my father in the recliner, and I in a straight-backed chair, and we eat raspberries. I've learned not to ask many questions. Questions are difficult. More often than not, he has no answers, or his answers relate to the distant past. Or halfway through an answer, he forgets what he was saying. Best not to ask too much. I tell my father many things these days. He likes to listen. When he listens, it does not matter that the words are slippery and sentences betray him. I found this on the path to the train station, I tell him. I hold out the tiny stone tool. My father examines the blade. His hands shake. The skin of his arm is marked with purple, dark purple age spots. He gives the stone back. Worked stone, he says, microlith. Basically, that's a technical term for tiny worked stone. I found a mirror in the street the other day, I say. That's good, he says. A complete sentence, not bad. Short enough that he can get through it without losing his way. Sentences are trickier than you realize, long and twisty. It's easy to get lost. I need, he begins. He's pushing his luck now, working on a longer sentence. What does he need? I need a mirror. Really? I'll bring you the one I found, I tell him. Does he really need a mirror, or is it just the word that came most quickly to mind? He nods. Don't forget. Another easy sentence. I care about my father in a grudging sort of way. My mother died when I was nine. She committed suicide jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Even as a child, I recognized that she was a drama queen, a flamboyant woman given to grand gestures to great joys and great depression. Today, she might be identified as bipolar. My father, on the other hand, is solid and unemotional. After my mother's death, he took care of me in an awkward, casual, ham-handed sort of way. I never went hungry, and I never got hugged. It was a balance of sorts. I take after my mother. I understand drama. I understand depression. And I understand the appeal of the dark and foggy waters beneath the bridge. Don't forget, my father says again. 
we eat raspberries in companionable silence. Godzilla, that's one of the cats. Godzilla is sleeping on top of the mirror, which is lying flat on the bureau. He was there this morning when I left for work. He's there now as I sit at my desk and check my email. Usually he supervises when I open a can of cat food for him and his brother. But today he jumps down from the bureau only after I set the food on the floor. He eats quickly, then returns to the mirror, gazing into it intently, sniffing it carefully, then lying down on top of it once again. Curled up, he completely covers the glass surface. I pat my lap and call to him. He lifts his head and regards me with that slit-eyed cat look that one of my friends says is how cats smile. He's not about to leave his post. His brother Flash is prowling the apartment restlessly. Cats have theories. Every cat owner knows that. The cats can't and won't tell you their theories. You must deduce the theories from their behavior. Then you have theories about the cat's theories. If you modify your behavior in response to your theories about their theories, you may change their theories. It's an endlessly recursive loop. The viewer affects the system. It's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle with cats. <laughs> I let Godzilla sleep. I am doing online research about fairies, not because I need to, but because I can't sleep. When I'm insomniac, I find doing research online very comforting. I used to walk on the Golden Gate Bridge at night, but doing research online is safer. I find information on Conan Doyle's belief in fairies. I find a discussion of microliths, or pygmy flints, blades of worked stone that some claimed were made by the little people. I find hundreds of images of Victorian fairies. Somewhere along the way, I find Rocky's blog. Mostly, it's one of those extremely tedious personal blogs that I'm amazed that anyone writes and even more amazed that anyone reads. A description of an art opening he attended with photos of his friends, all in black, of course. Discussions of his plans to attend Burning Man. And a long list of fairy links. Rocky, it turns out, has done a lot of research that he has not shared at work. He has links to fairy porn, of course. Yes, there is fairy porn. He has links to sites considering the connections between fairies and alien abductions, as well as sites about the original Celtic fairies, amoral creatures that are capable of great malevolence. In Celtic tradition, when someone died, people said they went to be with the fairies. Being touched by a fairy, according to one site, was commonly recognized as the cause of a stroke. No sweet and beautiful fairies, no gossamer wings. At the next meeting of the Fairyland team, Tiffany gathers ideas for the portal to our fairy site. At Disney's fairy site, the splash screen has a sprinkling of fairy dust and the words, believing is just the beginning. Tiffany asks the group for an image and words that will capture the essence of our site. A black mirror, I say, a portal to another word, world, and the words, clap if you believe in fairies. I don't see the need to specify the type of fairy you might believe in. Dark-eyed and sultry, sweet-faced and dressed in pink, that doesn't matter. Clap if you believe. Rocky smiles a little. That could work, he says. After the meeting, Johnny calls to tell me that my dad is in the hospital. Apparently, Dad forgot he could not walk without a walker. He stood up, then fell down, fracturing his hip. I go to the hospital after work. I bring the mirror and set it on one of the chairs in my father's room. He's sleeping. The nurse says that he was cursing all day. He said he was going to kick the doctor in the balls. <laughs> it's the Alzheimer's, she says. I nod, letting her believe what she wants to believe. Clap your hands if you believe that my father doesn't really want to kick the doctor in the balls. <laughs> I am not clapping. 
<laughs> I explained to the nurse that we have a DNR, a do not resuscitate order for my dad. No heroic measures, I explain. Just keep him comfortable. Clap your hands if you believe in death. Believing in fairies is much easier, I think. Death is an end, an emptiness, a darkness. People want to believe in the light. Go to the light, they say. We fear the darkness and the unknown, the fairies in the ravine, the world behind the mirror. I set the stone tool beside the mirror. I sit by my father's bed and watch him breathe. His arms are loosely strapped to the rails of the hospital bed. The nurse had told me that they had to strap him down. He kept trying to get out of bed. His leg was broken and he couldn't walk at all, but he was still trying to get out of bed. My father's life has been shrinking over the past few years. He moved from his own house to an apartment in a senior residence. Then he moved from the apartment to a room in a, the board and care home. Then he moved from that room into this shared room in a hospital where all he has is a bed and a table. My father is not conscious. He's lying on his side, his spine curved, his legs bent. A sheet covers him, but I can see the outline of his body through the fabric. He looks smaller than he ever has before. The tube that snakes from beneath the sheet is dripping, dripping morphine into his veins. My father is dying, that's clear. Here's a question. Do I stay and keep watch? Sit by his bed and do what? Read a magazine? Think about his life? Not such a happy life by my lights. What would I like if I were the one lying on the bed? I would like to be left alone. So I go home, leaving the mirror on the table by the bed. Clap your hands and my father will die. Actually, I'm kidding about that. My father will die no matter whether you clap your hands or not. My father will die, I will die, and someday you will die. You can applaud or remain silent, death won't care. You can choose to speed up your death by plunging from a balcony, from a bridge, but all the clapping in the world won't put it off forever. Some discussions of death make it sound all soft and warm, like falling asleep in a feather bed. But falling asleep implies waking up again. Death means not waking up, not being here, being with the fairies. An hour after I leave the hospital, a nurse calls to tell me my father has passed away. Here's what I think happened. My father curled up in the fetal position. He curled up as small as he could. Then he curled up even smaller, then smaller, then smaller still, until he was small enough to slip into the fairy mirror. You see, new fairies are not born. They are transformed through the fairy mirror. Flash and Godzilla could see that the way was open. Cats noticed that sort of thing. So they blocked the way, sleeping on top of the mirror to keep the fairies in and keep me out. They were protecting me. They aren't stupid. They know who opens those cans of cat food. <laughs> when the time was right, the fairies came through the mirror and took my father, who had shrunk small enough to fit, in, fit through the frame. He left his worn-out body behind, dressed in the unfortunate hospital gown. Like a snake abandoning its skin, my father slipped out of his body and emerged in the mirror. He felt better. All the life energy that remained in him was concentrated in his smaller form. Right now, he's hunting for mice among the rushes. He's chipping a tool out of stone. He knows how. He'll scavenge a pencil, make a spear, go hunting for frogs. That's what I choose to believe. I stop by the hospital to pick up my father's things. Late that night, I take the mirror to the train station. I walk down the gravel road, alert to every noise in the bushes around me. When I reach the train tracks, I head south. No one is there. A short distance from the benches and the ticket machine, the tracks go into a tunnel. 
I lean the mirror against the wall beside the tunnel entrance. Somehow it seems right to put it by the tunnel mouth, near the entrance to the underworld. Well, maybe not quite the underworld. It isn't a very long tunnel. But it's still the closest thing to an underworld there is around here. My father had smoked when I was young. My early memories of him are tobacco-scented, wreathed in smoke. The father in those memories is strong and tall and energetic. He could sweep me up and toss me in the air, swing me by my arms until my feet left the ground. I take a pack of cigarettes from my pocket and I tear the cigarettes open one by one. I scatter the tobacco on the ground in front of the mirror. I'm mixing my magic systems, I know. Native Americans offered tobacco to the spirits. The frogs call, something rustles in the bushes, a raccoon, or maybe something else. I sit by the train tracks near the mirror for a time. Every now and then, someone will commit suicide by walking in front of a train. It's a messy, noisy way to die. At home that night, I surf the web. On Rocky's site, I find he's been working on a fairyland. This is not a fairyland that would meet with Tiffany's approval. Yes, there are leafy groves, but the trees are gnarled and menacing, draped with Spanish moss. Little light reaches the forest floor. There's a fairy village, but the mud huts are neither elegant nor appealing. The carcass of a mouse, marked with the wounds that killed it, hangs curing in the shadows. There are no fairies in residence. I explore Rocky's fairyland carefully. In the dark, uh, in the dark, I don't even know how to pronounce this word. In the, I'm going to change it. In the dark crevice of a hollow oak, I find what I'm looking for, a tunnel that goes down, down, down into the underworld. I move my avatar through the darkness, the way illuminated by faintly glowing marks on the tunnel walls. I reach a dead end. A wooden door closed with a bar and a padlock blocks my way. I lay my hand on the door and the words, this way closed, glow on the bar in neon green. I know what to do. I reach out to the letters and touch the D, then the E, then the A, T, H, death. Each letter winks out when I touch it. When I touch the H, the padlock and the bar dissolve. The door opens. I stand in the open doorway looking into the darkness. I listen, and in the distance I hear the low wail of a train's whistle, the rumble of metal wheels on tracks. I catch a faint scent of wild fennel and tobacco. The way is open, but I don't need to go there. I will stay in the world. I do not want to be with the fairies just yet. At work the next day, I see Rocky in the lunchroom and pull a chair up next to him. I visited Fairyland last night, I tell him. He glanced at me, startled. I particularly liked your attention to detail in the hollow oak. He can't help himself. He's smiling now, a little smug, more than a little arrogant. Nice trick on the password. That surprised him. You open the door? My turn to nod. Obviously, I didn't go in. He's considering me now, eyes narrowing. Not interested just now, I say. I study him for a moment, face as soft as a boy's, the arrogant confidence of the young in his eyes. Forever young. I've been wondering where you got the name Rocky, I say. It comes from Peter, doesn't it? Smiling, slyly smiling, he's a mischievous boy with the power of death in his hands. Disney kept the happy moments but left out the essence. When Wendy's mother thinks about Peter Pan, she remembers this. When children die, Peter Pan goes partway with them, partway to the fairyland where the dead people are. Maybe later, he says. That goes without saying. His smile grows wider. The door is always there.
The next day, at the 22nd Street station, I look for the mirror. It's gone. Perhaps someone who needed a mirror picked it up. I hope they have a cat to protect them. I sit by the tracks, waiting for the train. The sun is warm on the bench, the swallows are feeding their young, and right now, life is good. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.